Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Today, I have joining me Jeremy Pinkin of Community Brands. Jeremy is Senior Vice President with Community Brands. Jeremy, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Hey, thanks so much, Chris. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, you bet. So Jeremy, tell me a bit about your role at Community Brands and Community Brands itself. Yeah, uh, my role at Community Brands is the uh, SVP of our K-12 space, uh, which is a space that's really dedicated to the uh, independent, private, parochial, um, schools all across the country. Uh, we also have a presence in the UK. Um, everything from admissions to tuition to managing all the back office things uh, and, and fundraising and such for those schools uh, is that super important for them to maintain their uh, the students that they serve and the families that they serve. Um, so that's that's uh, a little bit about community brands. And you know, my job here is to really oversee kind of the sales and marketing uh, world within the K twelve space here in the US. Um, and it's been a really exciting role and uh, one that I've, I've enjoyed is I get to meet a lot of very cool uh, parents and teachers and students and administrators uh, that ultimately are, are raising up the next uh, generation. So it's, it's, it's been a neat experience. That's cool. And Community Brands itself, pretty big company. Yeah, we're a large company, multiple brands under the umbrella, um, headquartered in St. Pete, um, really have a successful background as far as the, the brands that we have in our portfolio. And and really ultimately how we run things. And, you know, we've, we've got a great reputation out, out there and um, it's about serving people. So that's, I think that's really one of the coolest parts about uh, the community brands. Yeah. And you guys are a leader in your space, which I think is also, that's pretty cool, which is, I, I love that you're able to come on the show. Yeah. Likewise. Likewise. Yeah. We're, we're uh, definitely a leader within the, within the space. And um, that's one of the exciting things about community brands is, you know, working for the, the guy at the top. So yeah. um, happy to, I'm glad you have me, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. So Jeremy, what are the three things, looking back over your career, what are the three things or attributes that you think really have helped contribute and driven you to the success you've had? I think I learned really early on that you've got to be people focused because um, you can't do it yourself. And uh, I think that's a big pillar for me. And, and one that I learned, I learned that the hard way. You know, I wanted you know, I, I was a guy, if you want something done right, do it yourself. But ultimately, if you want something done right, you need good people that trust you to help you get to where you're going and work as a team and be collaborative to drive the strategy forward. You know, that's probably number one. Um, radical candor is probably number two, being willing to have those tough conversations and tell people, you know, the good and the bad. And I think you want that in return. I want that just as much as they want to receive that. And, uh, you know, I think reading that book, Radical Candor, was, was number two. And I think number three is, is a culture of winning. And I don't mean like Wolf of Wall Street culture of winning. Um, you know, I think that's where people go when they think about sales. I think it's, you know, hey, we had a great quarter, but you know what? This person had a baby. That person made President's Club. This person had an adoption. It, they're people. And I think, you know, the culture of winning is not just winning at, winning at the job, it's winning at life. And I want to be a part of that. And watch people grow in their organization from, from BDRs all the way through VPs. And, you know, hopefully I work for them one day. Um, that's really uh, probably the third pillar for me is that, you know, uh, celebrate everything in a winning culture. And it's not just about 
you know, you, you close the deal, it's, it's more than that. Hardly anyone that comes on the show wanted to be in sales when they started their, their journey. What did you want to be when you were thinking about your career, you know, as a young person? Yeah, I think, you know, my career is a little bit uh, different than most. Um, I come from a, a public safety background and that's what I wanted to do. And since I was a little kid, you know, every Halloween and, and that's what I did for a, a number of years. Um, I'm fortunate enough, my, my father, and my grandfather owned a business. So, you know, I kind of grew up around sales and I remember being in my dad's store as a kid and, you know, probably being relatively annoying, throwing, uh, you know, paper airplanes and such off the balconies at different coworkers and things like that. But when you're the boss's kid, I think there's a little bit of a leeway there, but, you know, I also learned from my, from my dad and my grandfather that it's a lot of hard work, but ultimately it's very rewarding. And they are both, um, they were people focused on their customer base. And I think it was cool to watch them sell and uh, the excitement of it and the, the things that I got to do as a kid, I think is because of, of that. And so I think it's always kind of been in, been in me, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I, I got off of the, you know, got out of the public sector, um, I did what everybody else did. You know, I started as a VDR and uh, kind of went through that process and set myself up for, you know, different opportunities within, um, you know, when I was a BDR, uh, I was a I was a flight paramedic and I wanted to become a BDR and I challenged the people that were in leadership to let me try it and I would increase their flight volume and ultimately that's what I did and created a job for myself in the process and was also willing to tell them if I can't do it fire me now I don't think I meant it as much as I said it you know in my younger years but it got me to where I was going and then slowly through that confidence build and learning to be told no a lot and learning the art of it um, I was able to go through it. But selling to me is just people. It's understanding people that have problems with pain and helping them solve it. I think if you look at it from, you know, Chris is just a dollar. And if I get a dollar from Chris, you don't like me. I don't like you at the end of it. It's a really poor experience. And so I had people along the way and I've been through different sales programs like Gartner's um, that really teaches you kind of that, that the way to sell that in a way that uh, is human nature. So again, I think it was in my blood from my parents, but Along the way, I've also kind of grown through it. What was the hardest lesson learned when you started in that first role as a BDR? Learning to take no a lot. Learning people to get to tell you no, they don't want to talk to you. No matter how good your sequence is, your email is, your phone call is, a lot of times we would show up, sometimes with a helicopter. So, um, you know, it's learning to do a lot of those things and still not get where you want, but not quitting on it and seeing it through. You know, it may be a six month cycle. It may be an eight month cycle. It could be a, an eight day cycle, mm-hmm. but the lesson was you've got to be consistent. And what I think I learned, what I definitely learned through that process was consistency is king. Um, I'm a, I go to the gym a lot, you know, and I, uh, January is my favorite time in the gym because in January 3rd, 800 people are in the gym. You know, I worked out this morning. I bet there wasn't eight people in the gym, but you know, the consistency of, of stringing and going to the gym together for 30 days you know, there's lots of evidence out there that'll, that you'll see your body change. I think being a BDR or salesperson is no different. If you're consistent in the activities that are required, those revenue generating activities, you'll ultimately get where you're going. And the secondary part of that is just because they said no today doesn't mean they said no forever. Right. So no right now, I take is a not now versus a no forever. And it took me some time to kind of learn that lesson because you kind of get this big, long no column and this very small yes column at times, and you never go back to the no's. 
But I think good sellers really go back to that close loss number and say, how do I bring them back across? How do I do those things? Um, so that was probably some of the first lessons I learned in that PDR role. Right. Uh, when was it time for you or when did you realize it was time to move on into your next role from that first one? I was very successful in it and I enjoyed it, but there was nowhere to go. Hmm. I'm a pretty driven guy. Um, so I wanted to kind of continue to grow in my career and I wanted to get to the next level. And so it was ultimately that was what made the decision. For, unfortunately, that company filed bankruptcy as well. So there was a lot of jobs eliminated. Um, you know, I, I was able to get out kind of ahead of that, that wave, but you know, I wanted to do, I wanted more, I wanted to do more. I wanted to be a part of more. I wanted more responsibility. I wanted more. I wanted more. Right. Um, and so that was just kind of where it was tied for me to part ways. What attracted you to your current role at community brands? That's an easy one. Um, you know, when I was looking for a role and, and looking for a place that was a couple of things, good people, great culture with room with room for growth. And I did that. And, you know, when you, when you talk to the, when I talk to, you know, the CEO and the CROs and all of the kind of stakeholders in the, in the group, the president and so on and so forth, it was all this, the culture was good. You didn't have that interview where you're like, Ooh, I don't really want to work for that person. It was like, you know what? I want to hang out with that person. I want to spend time with that person. And ultimately, you know, look, you, you got to do your due diligence. So I call around and I, you know, you back channel and you talk to friends and, you know, I'm a part of different uh, communities like Pavilion. And so you, you start to dig into those networks and say, hey, who knows these people? You'll find that a lot of them do. And then you start asking the questions of like, all right, I had a great interview. Let's pull the curtain back. What was it like? And as long as they say some good things, like, look, nobody's perfect. I don't think we're looking for that. We're looking for people. But ultimately, that's what drew me there. And, and the excitement of I get to I get to be a part of a product set that helps people and helps schools take care of their, their population. And, you know, the, these private schools and independent schools and, and, you know, faith-based schools don't have the ability, like they were their business, right. They rely on people to attend their schools. It, it's cool to be a part of that. It's, it's, you know, getting on calls with their executive, their executives and having conversations and hearing the struggles that they're having or not having because of the, you know, the products that we have are great. Um, but, but also learning that, you know, they're putting kids in and they're getting them the education they need to hopefully be the, you know, they'll be the next Jeremy's and Chris's of the world or, or yeah. Susan's and Sarah's of the world. Um, I, I think it's that that's the other thing that attracted me. They're doing what they sell is a good thing. And we really help people. It's not just a widget. Yeah. Think back when you're in, in a non-leadership role in sales, was there something that you can share with us that a sales leader you worked for did that you were like, I am never going to do that as a sales leader? Yeah. I mean, look, we've all worked for those hard charging sales leaders. You know, I, I, um, and sales has changed. And I think you have to be hard charging in sales. It is a very grit and grind job. Um, you know, I was just talking, uh, I was just talking to a professor, um, who actually does role plays and stuff. And, you know, when I was talking to her, I said, you know, I'd rather take the kid with a 2.0 GPA and an athlete than a kid with a 4.0 GPA, um, that's in National Honor Society. And she asked why. I think they're gritty. I think they grind it out, you know, and not to say the person with a 4.0 GPO doesn't, doesn't, you know, I'm just giving an example. Um, but I think that, you know, in that first environment, I had a, I had a leader that just drove and whipped and whipped and whipped. It was all stick and no carrot. Yeah. Um, 
and it sucks to work for because you feel like you're constantly you're constantly looking over your shoulder is my is it my day is it not my day you know there's people that would miss p club or whatever by five thousand dollars and they'd be crucified well if you did two million dollars in business you missed by five grand yeah you're not going to p club but we should encourage you that like hey get back on the horse next year go get that thing Hmm. um and i don't want to be that person i don't want to be i also don't want to be the person that has meetings at meetings um I want you out in the field doing your job and I want to support you in doing that. So if I can remove a meeting or make you more successful or give you more time with our customer base, I want to do that. I've also worked for the person that has meetings to have meetings about meetings, but then have a meeting to discuss the last meeting. I don't want to be that either. Um, and I want to hire people that I trust. And that's where I think I learned from that. Hire people that you trust, hire people and enable them and give them the resources that they need and the things they need to be successful and then let them be successful or not. That's, the, that's up to them. I'm going to give you all the tools, all the support, all the encouragement, all the enablement that you need. Your success is not relying on me. Your success is relying on you. Now, now that doesn't become a, a whip culture. It becomes a how do I support you culture to get you to the next step. Um, you know, I've seen cool spiffs of giving away cars and all kinds of crazy things. We should get behind that and support people in whatever it takes to get them what they want. Because ultimately, it's not your why. It's their why. Why are they doing it? No one cares why I'm doing it. They care why they're doing it. Um, But working for those leaders, I definitely learned to probably be more people centric and less, uh, less stick. I love that answer. What's the craziest story from your days in sales? Yeah. So I used to, um, I used to sell technology um, at big fortune, you know, 300s basically. Uh, And it was very hard to get into some of those offices. (laughs) Um, so I had a, I had a stick that I did where I would go to Tiff's treats and I would buy about eight or nine boxes of Tiff's treats. And inside the Tiff's treats box, they would put a, they put a piece of tissue paper over the cookies. So between the bow and the cookies and the box, I would put like a a card in that card was my business card. In that card was, you know, the things that I needed to show and maybe like a leave behind. Uh, so I went into a very large, very secure, uh, energy company, uh, and, uh, finagled my way past security as a TIFF street delivery person. Uh, and when I got to the executive wing and dropped them off, uh, I definitely wasn't met with like kudos and hugs. Um, but I will tell you that I built a relationship with that gentleman who ultimately did become a client and to this day would probably laugh about this. Yeah. Um, but I was escorted out that day um, by some friendly security officers that were that were doing their job. But it was just look, whatever it takes to get there, let's get it done. Um, and if you're not going to take my email, my phone call, if I'm sending things to you that you're not, you're not going to take my dinner invitation. Well, then I'm delivering cook. Everybody like cookies. And I will tell you, they, they kept the cookies. Yeah. So they did not like the cookies. And it took about seven months of some uh, relationship repair, if you will. Uh, but ultimately uh, to this day, um, we, we stay in contact. We're, we're relatively, uh, you know, cordial and, and it was a great life lesson and and again he would laugh about it if he was on right now he, he would make fun of me for it oh yeah it's all about separating yourself from everybody else right i right. Mean, you think of all the ways people are trying to stand out and and the thing is most don't because they're not willing to do that extra to really stand out from everybody else you know it's like i get the same linkedin messages over and over and over again it's it's yeah. white noise yeah yep. so like to do something like that to me it's it's gutsy and he's gonna remember you you know like oh you're 
you're the cookie guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we we've crossed paths many times since and you know, we'll 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 share a drink or a lunch and and laugh yeah. about, you know, all the things and yeah. you know, but ultimately I'll tell you what I learned from that. And something that he taught me along the way as I got to know him, value is more important to him than noise. So right. to your point, when I delivered value and I became a partner and not a vendor, right. and when be, when I became an extension of his business, when I became a consultant, when I became a confidant, I was valuable. Yeah. Otherwise, I was noisy. That's right. Just sending noise about something I don't know nothing about, it didn't help me. No. Um, and, and the more value I brought, brought to them, the more purchases that they would ultimately, you know, over time make. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the key as we, as we continue to drive through, you know, I, I, tell, I tell some of the team today, it's more important to be valuable than yes. it is to be wanted. If you're valuable and you're doing the right things and you're meeting them where they are and you're solving their problems, yeah. that's more important than just being there at sale and at renewal and maybe a quarterly along the way. Um, and again, that's part of the people process. There are people with pain that have a problem that you solve. Yep. Focus on fixing that box. Um, and again, it's, you know, it, it's a good story. But yeah, I, I've done the tips, treats thing and I recommend it. If it doesn't, it huh. will work. I promise you'll get thrown out. Yep. But you will you'll, you'll at least get in to say to say hello. Oh yeah, my dad told me I think when I was close to graduating college, he just said, "Hey, look, you want to be successful, become an expert at something, and you know do the work, become an expert." And it is it's all about adding value. You know that if you're an expert and you can truly help someone with that expertise, that alone you're you're taking that big step forward to separate yourself from the rest of the people. Yeah, no, no, I absolutely agree. And I, I think you see along the way, you know, I think there's I think there's a time and place for challenger sale. I think there's a time and place for value selling. I think there's a time and place for solution selling. You know, I I've kind of coined the phrase Valinger. I think you need to bring value and then challenge their the, the status quo yep. and challenge their way of thinking. And I think if you can do that well with a solution that's valuable and a solution that works, I think you hit all three pieces. And then the fun part is navigating that and weaving that into a story that they can resonate with. Um, that, that's something that I think is, is really exciting is, you know, I've, I've watched all these different sales motions. Yeah. So, uh, Jeremy, you've given us, I think you've exposed some areas of, of your approach, your philosophy around sales leadership. Let's dive a little bit deeper into team building. What is your strategy or philosophy or how you like to build a sales team? I think diversity is key. I think diverse sales teams have a much higher um, success rate. I think that with diversity, you need to build a culture of understanding, meaning I shouldn't be afraid to come to my colleague, Chris, and ask you how you got this meeting. I shouldn't be afraid to have Chris ask me how I got that meeting. So I think building that culture of trust among the team and ultimately, I think something that I've learned, um, something that I've learned along the way is um, you got to give people time to, to have fun. COVID, you know, sales teams are so used to SKOs. They were so used to QBRs. They're so used to doing those things. I think when we lost that during COVID, we lost the human interaction. And so while we are three-dimensional, we're really two-dimensional right now. Right. And so I think when you bring people together with growing a team, I think that's another piece of it. Bring your teams together, let them interface, 
let them get to know each other, it does a couple of things. Build synergy among them. So it's not weird when Chris asks me a question or I ask Chris a question. It shows you that people are people and they start to talk. Oh, you have a you have kids, I have kids. You, you know, you like, you like, you know, going to the gym, I like going to the gym. You like, you know, you're scrapbooking, I like scrapbooking. Um, I think that's the other piece of it is I think we got to a point during COVID where we expected people to be robots. Right. And we expected them like, look, our meeting, you know, I, I have it now. My calendar could be back to back to back for eight hours a day. But I don't get to walk to the water cooler or go to lunch with you or meet you for a happy hour afterwards or or, or go for a walk around the building. I, I don't, that's, that's all we've lost that. Yep. And I think to be able to bring your teams together and do that, you know, in that culture of winning, I think only increases your chance. And the more diverse of a team you have, the more difference of opinions that you have and the more differing viewpoints that you have, which only help make you more successful because it diversifies your entire team. Yep. What are the people you don't want to hire? What, you know, what are some of the red flags you see in applicants for positions you're hiring for? The people that I don't want to hire, that's a tough one. I'd say the people that I don't want to hire, I look for attitude. Um, I look for um, executive presence. I look for, um, did you research me? Do you know my, my company? Are you concise? Um, and ultimately I look for like, do you smile? Do you, do you like it? Do you enjoy it? And then, you know, we'll do a role play. And this is a fun one on an interview. Hey, I want a role play. Um, I know sell me a pen's kind of silly. Help me buy a house. Walk in and we'll, you know, we'll paint the picture. And if your face goes, like, I don't want that. Right. Look, I know role plays, role plays aren't fun. That's the intention. Right. But they make you better. There's a reason that sports teams and, and, and Olympic athletes watch their film. And there's a reason that, you know, um, writers have editors and publishers to make them better. There, there's a reason. And so if you give me that kind of, that's, I don't want to do that. It's kind of a red flag for me. Attitude is key for me. Um, I won't, if you have a bad attitude, I think that I don't want to bring that in. And then the other thing is, um, if you talk more than, if you talk more than you ask me questions on, on the interview, I think from a seller's perspective, I question your curiosity. Those two things are definitely red flags for me, but ultimately, again, part of having a diverse team is having a lot of people that are different. So when I interview, I actually look across the team and say, where's my gap? Mm. Do I have somebody that may need, do I need somebody with really strong business acumen, but maybe not as great at, at building out collateral? Cause I've got that person, right. you know, I look at it like that as well, but but the attitude is such a big piece because it's that skill that it's, it's just so hard to turn it. Yep. Um, and it's kind of hardwired. Yep. What do you look for in your team where you're going to go up and tap them on the shoulder and say, Hey, I think you need to start on a path to leadership. Yeah, no, I, uh, I just, I got, I fortunately just got to have one of those conversations. And when I ask for things, you know, like, Hey, Jeremy, I want to learn to be more fluent in my data. Great. Let's do that. Um, and so we, you know, part of that is I'm going to, I'm going to bring you into some of the meetings that I'm in and some of the, some of the spreadsheets that I get to live in and, and dashboards I get to live in. And we're going to talk about it and understand pipeline coverage and understand, you know, how many deals you need and walk back to the number and understand, you know, PAC and LTV and things of that nature. Um, but when I start to see that curiosity peak and when I start to see them start to look out for themselves, I'm taking this class. I want this. I need that. You start taking that initiative. I am all in with you. I will, I will, I will come with you the whole way. And that's when we start to have those conversations of, Hey, I know you just took that class on, on data fluency. 
You want to show me what you learned? Yeah, I'd love to. And you know what? I learned. I, I did. I, I truly learned things that I that I would not have looked at before, and that's that's awesome. And so, I you know bringing those people along. But then the second part of that is you know I was relatively new here, and I and I happened to go on PTO, and that person I said, hey, you know what? I want you to 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 run the ship. You don't need to call me. Here's your parameters. Go. And she crushed it. Did a great great job. And then the important part is you got to celebrate that. And we did the whole team there. And you know what? I think that's how you start to continue to develop that and get that to that second and third level line leader. And, yep. um, you know, it wouldn't shock me if in, in the future I work for her. Right. It takes some courage to do that. What you just did. I have a friend who, uh, um, entrepreneur had a very successful business and she set a goal three years from now, I am going to step down as CEO. And I'm going to travel for a year. Her and her husband are going to travel the world. And she was going to do one check-in call at the end of every month. And so she started that process of tapping people on the shoulder and elevating them, giving them more and more. So at their holiday party at the end of December, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is probably five years ago, she basically turned over the keys to the business and walked away, which I think takes a huge amount of courage business grew over 30% in that year. Yep. You know, and, and so I think there's real value. You said it before, it's like building a good team and then giving them those parameters, those guardrails and turning them loose. Yeah. And, and giving them the ability to fail. And, right. fa and you want a leader and I have leaders that, look, if you're going to fail, fail fast and let's fix it. Yep. I don't expect you to be hundred percent. Obviously, that's the goal, but we're human beings. I'm not a robot. Um, if you're going to fail, fail fast and let's fix it. And I think living in a space where you can fail and know that you have the support to get the, get out of it, yeah. we can we can do it. And, you know, again, they're people. And you need, you know, you need the strategy and then you need the people and then you need the process. You need, you know, the things that you're going to metric all the way through. And they all have to align. You know, I kind of look at the pyramid upside down where I put people at the top. Then I put the processes, then I put the metrics, and then I put kind of the, the goal at the bottom because the people are the number one. And if you flip that and put people on the bottom and you're driving up, but it's not, it starts with people. Yeah. It doesn't finish with people, it starts with people. Uh, and they're the biggest expense you have and they're the biggest uh, driver that you have. So it's gotta be the people piece. Um, those are some of the things that I've definitely learned along the way. Look, I was the guy that was like process, process, process. Anybody can fit in the box. I've been that guy. Yeah. Nobody wants to work for that guy. It's a miserable way to exist. Yeah. And ultimately, you're going to have a ton of attrition, which only creates your job harder. So yeah. focus on the people that then and then have a process for them to follow and then give them the ability to go do their job as that as intended. And so I think that before we started recording this episode, you shared with me a little tidbit. You have a nickname your friends use to refer to you in this approach of yours. Do, do you mind sharing that with the audience? No, they, they say that I'm a people centric leader. Yep. So what does that mean for you to be people centric it, leader? It's people first. It's, yep. it's, it's celebrating their personal lives. It's celebrating their professional lives. It's when they want you to get in the trench on a call, you get in the trench on the call with them. When they want your help on a call, even though it may not necessarily go towards your comp plan, you get on that call. What people are looking for is a team. And I think you see a lot of leaders, you know, you've all seen the, the, the gifts where the leaders in the back whipping. I want to be the leader in the front pulling. Like I want to pull. And I tell my people the same thing. 
don't wait for me to push it to you, pull it from me. Don't like, this is an open dialogue. And you know, I've got, I've got a GM that says the same thing. Uh, and so, you know, that's kind of um, something that's, that I think is important, but you have to understand their why. It's not Jeremy's why, right. it's their why. Why do you do this? And most people go, sellers do it for the money. And you know what I'll tell you? You're gonna find out that a lot of times money may motivate it, but it's something else. Yeah. I wanna get married. I wanna have a baby. I wanna buy a house. I want my, I wanna help my parents. I want, it, it's a something else. Yep. And you have to know that. But then when that thing happens, you as the leader need to celebrate, celebrate it because that's how you, you'll never, those people will never forget that. Yep. And ultimately I want to, I want to be in their lives. I want to understand what they're going through. And that way, if times get tough, I want them to be able to call me and say, Hey, I know, you know, I didn't want to call my manager, but I called you yep. X, Y, and Z is going on. Can you help me? Yeah. I, there was a lesson I got very early in my career. My dad was very successful in his career and, and I, you know, was just getting started and I'm like, I need something. I need to learn more. So I went to his bookshelf to see what books he had. And there was one skinny little book that I pulled out and I'm like, this looks interesting. And I read the book It's one of those ones you could read like super fast, but I'll never forget the main lessons in there about, and you described yourself in total alignment with this, where the guy used the, the author used an analogy of a true leader. He used, you, you have a sheep herder, you've got a flock of sheep and you have two choices in terms of how you're going to manage that flock. You could be behind them with a stick, smacking them, trying to get them to go in the direction you want them to go. Or you could be that sheep herder out front who's created that, that will or, or that, that culture really around that they want to follow you. And you're out in front leading the path, you're setting the direction. And because of who you are, they want to follow you. And you're not back there wearing yourself out with a stick, whacking them, you know, trying to drive them forward, you know, and, and I've never forgotten that. And uh, I truly think, you know, that's what separates a leader from a manager. You know, managers in the back with the stick, a leader's out front. And I think that's, that's a great, I've, I've not heard the sheep analogy, but it's such a great analogy of, you know, and who do the sheep want to follow, right? Do yeah, they want to get exactly. it every day or do they want to be? Yeah. And so I think, but again, Look, I don't claim to have all the answers. I've been the perfect leader my whole career. I've been fortunate to work for some great leaders. I've been fortunate to work for some average leaders. I've been fortunate to work for some really bad leaders. Right. And I've taken a little bit of each one of those things and either kept it or cut it right. or made it my own. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's what got me to where I am uh, today. That's awesome. CRM, do you love it or do you hate it? I love it. Why? What do you love uh, about CRM? I think it's important to know your business. And I think... I'm a medic guy. Uh, and, and part of medic is understanding your business and being able to articulate that business. And if you don't want to have all those meetings, you need to have a clean CRM because without a clean CRM, now I have to have meetings to gather that information and to trust that information. So I think the CRM is good. Now, the debate will be made that sellers don't like a CRM. I was one of those sellers. I didn't like it. It didn't make me money. But I think, it's, I think you're wrong in that. I think it does make you money if it's managed correctly and you put in the time with it. And then you don't have those meetings. It allows you to do more revenue generating activities. It allows you to be in the field more. Um, but I do, I, I, I love it. So I always, I preach this and you've, you've said this many times, which has made me very happy is you, you have to know their why, you know, the salespeople, what is their why? And, and so when I talk to sales leaders that are struggling with their CRM, 
I asked, that's one of the first questions I asked them is, you know, what's your why for the business in terms of CRM, but then also what's the why for each of the individual team members yeah. you have? What, how are you connecting CRM to them to help them with their why? And because they all have one, right? And if CRM is not helping them with their why, that's probably why they're not using CRM. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, but that comes down to, to me, that's not the seller, that's the manager or the leader, not understand, to your point, not understanding them. So they're like, why am I going to do this exercise? It doesn't right. get me anywhere. Right. Um, but no, that's a good point. Yeah. If I'm just using it to put in data so you can run a report for your boss, right. that's, you're taking time away from me selling, right? Right. Exactly. That, right. To me, that's not CRM. That's just a reporting tool, you know? Absolutely. So absolutely. Totally agree. What, what advice do you have for a sales leader um, to, you know, in terms of how they should be structuring their CRM or leveraging their or leveraging their CRM as a sales leader? I think, look, it's, it's easy to be a dashboard, live in dashboards. It's easy to do those things. Take, a, take what you want to know and figure out the best way for you to consume it. But better yet, figure out the best way for them to enter it for them to consume it and learn to consume it the way that they do them being your reps. Um, and I think you'll get to a better place. Um, I also will say, set the tone, set your expectations. My expectations, when I run a forecast call and it's not right, I'm gonna call them on it. I'm not gonna beat them up. I'm just gonna say, hey, your date's wrong. It's in the wrong stage. It, it's not gonna happen again, I promise. You don't have to, oh, I can't believe you. That's, yeah. no, it doesn't get you anywhere. Hey, can you change that date next time? Yeah, no problem. Thank you, great, move on. Yeah. Um, hey, it's in, the wrong, it's in the wrong staging. Can you change that? Yep, I got it. Does it happen? Of course, they're people. Um, but I think as long, and the other thing I will tell new sales leaders is if you expect them to do it, you better use it yep. because if you expect them to do it and you never use it, they will never trust you again That's because right. you're taking time out of their selling to do something that you're not utilizing. So if you're going to tell them to do it, you better be utilizing it at some point in your process. Yep. Do you leverage CRM as part of retrospectives, maybe on lost deals, pick a deal out 100%. and say, let's go through it. Can you talk about 100%. that? percent. Yeah. Um, Lost deals, I think, are, are like a treasure trove. And so when a deal of a certain ACV is lost, absolutely, we go in, dissect it. Then what I do is I go in and run a report and see how many other ones are there. Do I have a, do I have a trend? Do I have a product gap? Do I have a whatever I have? How do I fix it? Yep. Um, so I absolutely, I think it's important to go through those. But I do the same thing on, on, on one deals. You know, yep. what's, what's the product set? Is How is it being sold? And what's the term being done? You know, what is that? How is that? What problem is it solving for who? Do I have a trend here? Is there, is there a marketing opportunity for us? Um, I think it goes both ways. I think the other thing is it also helps. I look at it a lot for, I also go through pipeline a lot at the rep level. What pipeline does each rep have to meet their goals? How do I track it back to their activity and their why? Um, so I use it for a lot of those reasons, but I absolutely go after the closed loss um, over at a certain threshold. And, and my, my leaders do the same thing at another threshold. Again, you're looking at trend data. You're looking at, um, do you have a seller problem? You're looking at an enablement issues. You, you can identify so many things in there without breaking the bank because it's not costing you anything to get that data right. or get that information. It, it all comes back to, again, that having that structure in place, communicating that why, to providing that support that you talked about so everybody understands you know, what, how we're leveraging this tool, why we're asking you to spend that time to keep this stuff accurate. Um, 
And you know, one thing I always talk about, you mentioned forecasting. There's a lot of people in the business making decisions on the forecast that are relying upon the data those people are putting in. And yeah. I, a lot of people forget to communicate that. Um, you know, so it's really important. Um, Jeremy, we're at our time here on Sales Lead. It's been absolutely wonderful listening to you. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the show. If people want to reach out, connect with you, if they want to learn more about community brands, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best way to get a hold of me. And, um, you know, I do get a number of messages on a daily basis, but but happy to reach out. And, you know, uh, if you want to engage with any of my content, please do. And, um, you know, happy to be a, uh, a sounding board or, or an ally to anybody out there. So um, LinkedIn is probably the best way to get a hold of me. And and uh, I look forward to hearing from everybody. That's great. So we'll have all of Jeremy's information in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. Uh, ImpellerCRM.com forward slash sales lead dog. You'll find this episode plus all our others. So please be sure to subscribe. And Jeremy, thank you again for coming on and welcome to the sales lead dog pack. Hey, I appreciate it. This is great, Chris. Thanks so much. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash Sales Lead Dog. Sales Lead Dog is supported by Impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.